rootslandnation.com Wear your culture. 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 Broadcasting live and direct from the rolling red hills on the outskirts of Kingston, Jamaica, from a magical place at the intersection of words, sound, and power. The red light is on. Your dial is set. The frequency in tune to the Rootsland podcast. Stories that are music to your ears. Sir, uh, yeah. exactly how obscene an amount of money were you talking about? Just profane or really offensive? Really offensive. I like him so much, so much, so much. In the early 1990s, there were two New York cities. The Edward and Vivian Pretty Woman fairy tale version and the Nino Brown and Pookie New Jack City version. Hey, Pookie, you clean yourself up, man. Maybe I'll give you a job. All right, man. Same story. Men willing to do anything to attain power and possessions, to control people. Different endings. And depending where you saw the movie, probably different heroes. This disconnect reflected a growing awareness that our justice system also had two versions of the same story. What happened? You know, you told your story to two separate judges. Each with a very different ending. Listen to me. One you won, one you lost. One you lost. One version of American justice gave wealthy white-collar criminals a slap on the wrist, sent them to country club prisons where they could play tennis and learn Pilates. Another version where people of color served harsh mandatory sentences at maximum security facilities, forced to fight every day just to keep their dignity. In 1990, the social divide, this structural inequity, wasn't taught in our classrooms or covered on the evening news. There were no Facebook postings of police shootings or back alley beatings. What previous generations of urban youth had that accurately reflected their truth, told their story? Hip-hop music, a new language of the street, an expression that allowed those who experienced the struggle, the triumphs and the tragedies, to tell their story directly to the people, without anyone twisting or manipulating it. In 1990, the rest of the world was waking up to what disenfranchised youth in Brooklyn and the Bronx, in Oakland and L.A. had understood for decades. Rap records as diverse as MC Hammer's You Can't Touch This, The Public Enemy's Fear of a Black Planet, were blowing up pop radio and selling millions of copies around the world. In the process, they were shining a light on the conditions of America's inner cities. The good, the bad and the ugly. But I was forced into this way of life. Hey, look, I've been dealing drugs ever since I was 12 years old. See, I didn't have the chances that you have. I wasn't born with a silver spoon in my mouth. One of hip-hop's most influential voices of the era didn't use a mic. His rhymes took place on paper, with a pen. Bones Malone, OG, graffiti writer, author, actor, dubbed the Hunter Thompson of hip-hop a legendary journalist from the streets of the boogie-down Bronx who grew up in an age of block parties, MC battles, breakdancers, and mixtapes. He cut his teeth as a teenager 
writing a column for a youth magazine distributed to New York City public schools. His poetic prose was a gritty, honest, and unedited portrayal of what was really happening on the streets of New York City, his city. Bones rises up to become one of the youngest contributors to The Source magazine, the Bible of hip-hop, and writes some of their best-selling cover stories. It doesn't take long for Chris Blackwell to recognize the street-savvy talent and personally hires Bones for the Island A&R department, adding some much-needed color to their lily-white Manhattan offices. A hip-hop ambassador with an ear for emerging talent and the credibility to bring them to the label. Bones was at the beginning of a journey at an uncomfortable intersection where an uncompromising kid from the streets was adapting to corporate life and office politics. Part of his morning ritual that made this transition easier, a bodega breakfast sandwich from the corner store on Broadway, prepared by Manny the Sandwich Man, and a cold strawberry yoo-hoo to wash it down. Wearing his fresh-ironed polo shirt, baggy jeans, and Timberlands, he stood out in more ways than one in a world of shoulder-padded blazers and black Chuck Taylors. Lost in his thoughts, Bones Malone would sit at his desk, white paper napkin tucked neatly into his collar, chug down the yoo without a breath, and then stare at the empty bottle as if it was the cure-all for all the world's ills. Bones wasn't the only one struggling to adapt to corporate life at Island Records. So was I. And I didn't even work for Island Records. I worked at Island Trading, a separate company that shared the same office. And as much as I like pretending that I was in the music business, I was just a t-shirt salesman. Technically, wasn't even that, because that would imply that I was actually able to sell the shirts, which I wasn't. And if I didn't have the skills to sell Bob Marley shirts to reggae shops, then how could I make it in the music business? One of the toughest games around. There's a saying in New York City real estate. The three most important things, location, location, location. When Island moved offices from 4th and Broadway into the swank new open-floored penthouse at 400 Lafayette Street, my new location happened to be the desk right across from Bones Malone, former gang member who found redemption through the power of words and a never-say-die mentality that taught it's not how you play the game. It's how long you stay in the game. What's up, Lil G? What's going on with Reggae Man? Same fight, Bones, man. You know, these stores, they just don't want to buy our shirts. Our price is way too high. I tried telling them that these are official products and that the royalties go back to the Marley family, but they don't seem to care. They like the bootleg stuff better. And it's cheaper. Yo, Henry, these niggas have families to feed. Wives and their own kids. You think they're worried about the Marley family? No, I know. Hell nah. I know. These streets are a battle zone, son. Now you in the rat race, you gotta stay in the rat race. You can't give up, little G. No, I'm not giving up that easy. Don't worry. You think these niggas from the hood, these rappers from the streets, just give up that easy? I know they're not quitting. Their records ain't selling. If those niggas' songs ain't hitting the charts... They go out there and invest in themselves, spend their own money, cash money. They buy up their own albums, uh-huh. put that shit on the charts, make radio recognized. No, I know. I know how they do Those it. Those boys are gaming the system, the same way the record labels are. 
What do you think goes on out there, son? Oh, I know how they do it. I know you've seen the movie Scarface. Never, Never underestimate the other, the other guy's, guy's greed. greed. I know. Life is a gamble, son, and there's only one way to win. You gotta bet on yourself. Bones' lessons on life weren't limited to the cubicle we shared. Sometimes he preached up on the roof of our office building over an after-work blunt in a remixed version of Happy Hour. From the top of the island office building on Lafayette Street, there was a view of the World Trade Center and all of Wall Street to the south, the Empire State Building and the Midtown skyline to the north, a place of extreme peace and power. You can't see any stars in New York City at night, only the bright lights. It can be disorienting, like a Vegas casino, the way it throws off one's sense of time and space. Even to a seasoned gambler, like Bones Malone, one infamous night on that same island roof, under those same bright lights in the big city, he would bet on himself. With just one roll of the dice, lose the biggest pot in CeeLo history, and gain hip-hop immortality as the subject of one of the greatest urban legends in rap music. You go dudes, get late, man. Don't give me the dice. The drinks were flowing and the blunts were blazing just before dawn on the roof of the Island Records office. Yo, roll that, roll that. Bones Malone's fingers were bloody from snapping so hard after shooting dice all night with his Brooklyn neighbor, a promising young rapper. Bones decides he's ready to up the ante. One last roll of the dice. Winner takes all. For Bones, all means his chance to sign the talented upcomer to Island Records. The rapper was just featured in the Source magazine's unsigned hype section. And the deal would significantly up Bones Malone's street cred at the label. Bones takes one last hit off his blunt, kisses his fist, and then throws down a five. His neighbor, Christopher Wallace, who goes by the name Biggie Smalls, lets out a thunderous baritone laugh <laughs> that shatters the early Manhattan morning. Then Biggie rolls a six. Yo, hustler, Gabe, oh. And just like that, Bones gambles away his chance to sign notorious B.I.G. to Island Records. His loss opens up the door for one of the other players, Bones' fellow Source contributor, Matt Life, to take Biggie over to another young music executive, Puff Daddy, where he signs with Bad Boy. If you can make one heap of all your winnings and risk it on one turn of pitch and toss and lose and start again at your beginnings and never breathe a word about your loss, you'll be a man, my son, my son, my son. Taking a cue from a fellow poet, Rudyard K., Bone stays focused on his true love, hip-hop, and elevating its profile as both a writer and a music executive. He painstakingly sorts through and listens to every demo tape that comes his way. From family, friends, garage parking attendants, pizza delivery dudes, young wannabes permanently stationed out front of our office, hustling their demos. Suddenly, everyone is a rapper, or everyone knows one. Bones learns a valuable lesson from Chris Blackwell, the man who hired him. It only takes 10 seconds. 10 seconds to recognize a hit. And that was all it took for Bones to know. He wanted to sign the group The Poetical Prophets, a young rap duo hailing from Queensbridge Housing Projects in Long Island City. The teens spoke the raw, brutal, and violent language of the streets, telling stories that reflected the realities of the Queensbridge Housing Projects, 
known as The Bridge, New York's largest housing scheme. 7,000 residents crammed into 96 buildings, widespread unemployment, lack of opportunity, and scarce resources for healthcare, education, and police. The group's lyrics warn society to beware of killer kids that just don't care. This wasn't a West Coast Hollywood version of gangster life. This was for real. In 10 seconds, Bones hears the future of hip-hop. He mentors the young group, uses his clout at Island to get them their first major record deal. The duo, Havoc and Prodigy, decide to change their name to Mob Deep. And thanks to Bones Malone's guidance and vision, they become one of the most successful groups in rap's history, selling millions of albums and showing countless teens from the projects that hard work, ingenuity, and legitimate hustling pays off. The 1990s are considered to be the golden age of hip-hop. Mob Deep is one of the reasons why. It was a time when rap music was more than entertainment. It was an authentic depiction of street life that foretold many of the root causes of our current social unrest. The best time to have listened to Mob Deep was 30 years ago. The second best time is today, right now. Meanwhile, inspired by my cubicle mate and urban Anthony Robbins, I went out and opened up two accounts that week. I sold a dozen t-shirts to Nami Oak Records in Far Rockaway, Queens, and another dozen to Uncle Joey's Smoke Shop in Great Neck, Long Island. And for the next few months, a steady stream of new accounts and reorders came in, all paid with money orders or cash on delivery. I wasn't breaking the bank, but selling enough to keep my job and keep my boss happy. And that was getting me more responsibility at the office. The only problem was at home. My small one-bedroom apartment was filling up with boxes of Bob Marley and Island trading t-shirts. It was starting to look like an episode of Hoarders. None of my new accounts I opened really existed, and I needed a place to store the merchandise. I was taking a page from the rapper playbook, buying my own product, like they did, investing in myself. They go out there and invest in themselves. And the same way the artists were gaming the system to keep themselves relevant, so was I. It was a gamble, and it was expensive, but better than being unemployed. You know, showing that, that, I call it like, you know, the ghetto celebrity or the ghetto superhero side of yourself. You know, it's, it's a drug, man. That's, that's hazardous. Rootsland Podcast is produced by Enrique in association with Vicebox Studios. Make sure that I then click the link below, you know, you know. Make sure you click the link below. Like, share, and subscribe. So join the Roots Gang and Rootsland. Yes, Rasta. <laughs> I tell you, I tell you.